and welcome to A Nightmare on Fear Street, a monstrous podcast about all things horror. If you like what you hear today, then you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and you can also rate and review us on Apple iTunes. All right, everyone. Today, we're talking about Tales from the Hood with, I uh, don't know which one you want to call them today, La Bob, La Rob, y'all get to choose. It's Larry. Your- it's like on our, our layout. It's even one says LaBob and then one says LaRob. So. That wasn't on purpose. Either, either works. It's fine. So, I know who uh, I am. That's the most important thing. <laughs> um, LaBob, catch us up on what you've been up to, what's going on, what movies you've been watching, what projects are you working on, where can people find you, all that good stuff. Woof. Um, yeah, so those who don't know me, I am LaRob, actually. Uh, LaBob on this podcast, though. Um, what have I been up to? Oh, my God. I feel like it's been forever since we last talked. Um, but, you know, just building Hearing in Color. Um, I run an, a nonprofit organization called Hearing in Color, which is an organization that is focused on and dedicated to the upliftment and the highlighting of music and stories of uh, people who have historically been excluded from those spaces. So uh, we have a concert actually on the 30th that is, uh, it's called Kaba Bayan. It is a celebration of Filipino music and identity. Um, uh, Yeah, so I think it's going to be really great. Please tune in. It's going to be on Facebook, uh, January 30th at 8 p.m. That's what I've been up to. What movies have I been watching? Oof. I, I mean, I I should have kept a running list for the quarantine, but I didn't. So <laughs> I don't know. Pro- I probably have seen it, though. Whatever it is. Um, I probably have seen it. <laughs> I will say that in between watching horror movies um, and sad dramas, I have been watching Girlfriends on Netflix. Yes. Because I remember that, like, you know, my mom and my aunts used to watch it when I was young. And I was like, let me just watch, like, the first few episodes. Now I'm hooked. I'm in season six. I love all the characters. <laughs> I've done deep analyses of analyses of each character. So, yeah, that's that's me. That's what I've been doing. Awesome. Um, yeah, so let's get down to it, right? Let's start with just some general thoughts on Tales from the Hood. I'm going to kick it off with this being my favorite anthology film because this is an old-ass formula. We've seen it done forever, and it's never been done so well as it was in this 95 movie that nobody talks about. (laughs) I really enjoyed, uh, well, enjoy is not the right word. (laughs) I thought that the the mix between like the real, the real-world horror of you know just like interpersonal kind of uh, communication and racism and all that stuff mixed with the like supernatural horror uh was really well done i i thought that was one of the key strengths for the for the whole film yeah um i i have a lot of thoughts (laughs) so i'm gonna try and keep my commentary short but please forgive me audience if i start rambling Um, I guess my general thought of this movie is, you know, this is the third time I've seen it. The first time I watched it, I was very, very young, maybe like nine or 10. Um, And it terrified me to the point that I never, ever wanted to watch it ever again. I never wanted to see it, never wanted people to talk about it. Somehow or another, I was forced to watch it again in 2017. 
um, much different time, a much different time. And like, I started to pick up on what the movie was trying to tell me in 2017, obviously, with everything that was going on in 2017. Um, <laughs> but then watching it a third time really kind of, it, it was like I was reading the book finally. Um, I finally got what the movie I feel like is trying to say. And what the movie is trying to say is a lot. <laughs> so I'm going to try and get to that at some point um, in this podcast. But yeah, in, in, told, in general, I just I really think it's, it's really a brilliant movie. And if you haven't watched it in a very long time, please pull it out. Give it the give it the watch. It's so worth watching right now. I this was my fifth time watching it with you the other night. Mm. Um, I saw it three times as a kid, and back then it was still like, oh yeah, racism's a bad thing. I understand that on some level, mm -hmm. and also this is a horror movie. But I've never checked in on it again as an adult until last year when we were getting stuff together for the podcast, and I was like, what's? I haven't seen this in forever, and I was like, oh no, it's still relevant. Mm -hmm. Oh no, <laughs> there's different yeah. kinds of horror at work here. Um, yeah, but I, I just also wanted to be recorded somewhere out there that the fact that. Clarence Williams the third retired without any awards is an insulted and embarrassing and a crime because even in this role, which I mean, like he's a legitimate actor who's been all over the place. He didn't have to come in here and give us anything that would have won him an Academy Award and should have won an Academy Award, but he did. <laughs> yes. He's like, I'm your black Doctor Who today. Come with me to my funeral home. And yeah. I did. And yeah, his, that his face especially like that last frame at the at the very end of the movie his face is just burned into my like brain and that is really what that's why I was like I can never watch this movie again because I'm so terrified of that face yeah he really gave a performance here yeah and they let him retire without any sort of acknowledgments awards praise they were just like oh yeah thank you let's hope this movie has like a a renaissance where it comes back into the, the zeitgeist of like mainstream horror movie watchers and gets kind of like a second a second look look at because I think it deserves that for sure. I will say a discovery that I found though before we kind of get into it is that I know that there were a couple other movies made so there's a Tales from the Hood 2 and a Tales from the Hood 3 that apparently were by the same director. Okay. Um, I remember seeing like the second one on Netflix or something and thinking, I feel like they've spoofed this movie and it's going to be bad. But now that I know it's by the same director, I, I think his name is Rusty Kundiev. Yeah, who was the um, teacher in Boys Brews 2 or whatever that one's called when we get down there. Yeah. Um, now that I know it's by him, I'm like, maybe I should like give them a watch. I don't know. I don't know. We'll We'll see. <laughs> I mean, if it's by him, yes. Also, I was reading the Wikipedia page on this today because, mm -hmm. like, I was like, what's some cool trivia? It's terrifying. And so, like, if you've got more <laughs> terrifying stories to put into these movies, I want to know. Right. Yeah, I would be interested to watch it. I did. I was talking to a coworker today, and I was like, we were chit-chatting, and I uh, told her that I watched this film last night. And she talked about how much she loved this movie, but she said she didn't really like the sequels. Um, she didn't say why. So I didn't... We didn't, I didn't like broader, <laughs> but um, yeah. So, but I mean, I didn't know it was the same director. That makes me feel a little more confident going into it. Cause I was worried it was going to be like a, 
you know, bring it on 45 or whatever. <laughs> yeah. All right, well, let's get down to our specific um, sections of the film. So like Sheree said earlier, this movie is a um, anthology film. So there's more, there's multiple stories and then there's one kind of story linking all of these stories together. We're going to start with Welcome to the Mortuary. And like, this is the beginning. And then they also kind of go back to this between the, the other stories and then the end. This is the end as well. I guess after some reflection, um, I'm realizing that, you know, this opening scene, this opening kind of section of this movie is really the only time I like laughed or smiled. It's like the rest of the movie is just so traumatizing that mm-hmm. it was hard to laugh at the places where I think they were trying to make humor. Um, with, again, with the exception of the, we'll get to it, but the dude in the, what is it? The KKK. Oh yeah. We'll, we'll get to that part, but, but there was one dude who was very consistently funny. Um, <laughs> but like, you know, it was really hard to laugh elsewhere. This beginning, they, you know, they're cracking jokes and things and, it was it was pretty out there. I will say, rule number one: do not go to a funeral home high. <laughs> just, like, that was my question. Don't. Do people really go to mortuaries for drugs? Be like, hey, Undertaker, you got some, you got some drugs. <laughs> there is no world where I am lighting a J and about mm-hmm. to walk into a funeral home. That's just, it's just not gonna happen. Take right. I I don't remember because this came out when I was really young. We rented it when I was really young. So I don't know if this is what started my fear of funeral homes mm. or if all the funerals we went to started it. But mm. I've had that forever, which is another reason why this terrifies me. And so having these three comedians and Clarence Williams the third, who is in his <laughs> own production <laughs> in these like bits were it was wild. And also I that was one of my notes that I could not laugh after the first one, even though like they were working and there were jokes there, but I was just like, because <gasps> yeah. this film is typically categorized as a horror comedy. And I was like, okay, I mean, maybe the first, however long this first scene is 15 minutes. And then when they go back to them between the stories, I feel like they try to give you some levity, some, some laughs, but I don't think we spend enough time with them to like, you got to let us debrief from the what we just watched and then give us some comedy and then send us on our way but yeah which is another brilliant kind of thing about this movie is that it really doesn't give you a break Mm -hmm. um you you know even when it like you said even when it does go back to the mortuary it's kind of like i'm still kind of tense from what i just saw and then he's like and another story and i'm just like please leave me alone Yeah. And then in the end, I don't know, do we want to talk about the very end right now or do we want to wait till the end of the, the last one? So they kind of intertwine there. We can get it done. Well, I was just going to say that like by the end of it, I was still like in shock from like all the other all the other stories before it and then that last one, which we'll get to more specifically. But like I when it turns into Satan and I was like, oh, God, I've never been so unsettled in my life. You know, it's funny that you say that because I'm thinking about it and I'm like, yeah, once we got to that last scene, even though Clarence Williams, what's his name? Clarence Williams the third, Mm -hmm. even though his face is terrifying at the end, I wasn't, I wasn't like scared at that end part because I was still 
trying to wrap my head around <laughs> what had just happened before. So, yeah, it's just, ooh, wow. Yeah. As a kid, I was like, this is terrifying. And then you invited Satan too. Right. And I was like, no, I knew it was coming because I was a runner even at a young age. I was like, oh yeah, he's the devil. They I'm did. Saying. And then no. he did it. And I was like, no, I didn't want to be right. I didn't <laughs> I did not call that they were dead. That I was I when they when he walks them in the room and there's three caskets, I was like, okay, they're dead. But like before that, when he was like, come this way, and I was like, then I saw the caskets, and I was like, are you fucking kidding me right now no imagine a little 10 9 or 10 year old conservative christian black boy (laughs) sitting and watching this movie alone in his grandmother's living room nope and this final scene comes on where satan himself reveals (laughs) the true intentions and that these three individuals are actually in hell oh Oh, it was over for me. Like it was over. I wanted to give my life to Christ. I wanted to I wanted to catch the Holy Ghost and be saved. Like it was over. You didn't have to say anything else to get me on the Christian bandwagon. This was your own personal like uh around Come to Jesus. You got hell houses that they bring kids to that scares them into Christianity. Right. This was that for me. <laughs> All right, well, let's move on to our first story, which was Rogue Cop Revelation, which I didn't know these had names, so that's super cool. But Rogue Cop Revelation. Yeah, so, I mean, I guess just kind of a brief overview of what happens in this this section is that, you know, obviously there's a, a new black cop. He's a rookie, and he's on a uh, an assignment, I guess, with his partner, who's a white cop. They get to, uh, they stop an individual um, who is, I'm, I'm assuming maybe like a political figure. He's a, he's a black man who's a political mm-hmm. figure in the neighborhood. And the cops who stop him are obviously like beating him to death um, just because they can. Um, and they end up planting drugs on him and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And the rookie black cop witnesses all of this, but is basically powerless to what happens. Now for a twist, um, the governor or whoever this political figure is, comes back from the dead uh, to get revenge on these cops. And the rookie black cop obviously is witnessing all of this and, and so forth. So that's what this little little section is yeah. for those who haven't seen the movie <laughs> and there, and well, i'll just say my one little point that like when it, when they're in when they get back in the car so after they've beaten him up the other two white cops that aren't with the black cop tells him that they're going to take him to the hospital he doesn't have to worry about it because he does try to like stop them and tell them to you know stop what are you doing but so they tell him that they're going to take him to the hospital when really, like LaBob said, they're going to put dr- drugs on him and push his car into um, the water. In the car later, he's talking to his partner and he's like, I should turn them in. We should turn, like, we should do that. And the co- and his partner is like, we're cops. We don't turn our back. We don't do that to other cops. And it just, it makes me so infuriated when I hear things like that because like, w- like other profession and there's other professions that need to do this and should do this, like doctors. I mean, if if I'm a doctor or a surgeon and I know that somebody purposely killed somebody, I would want someone to, you know, or and like, and it just, cops get such 
a pass from each other that you, no one holds them accountable, which is the fucking issue. I could be on that rant for decades. <laughs> I, I remember as a kid watching this and going, oh, that's sad, but already this was just such a part of like my world and experience is to not trust the cops because like the cops are basically the KKK. Um, they are out here pulling over black men and just doing whatever. And so I was already hip to that. <laughs> so I was like, this is sad. And I was watching this movie as a child, I'm like, oh, and then the Billie Holiday song kicked in. And I was like, oh no, this is very fucking sad. And, but it didn't stick out to me as this belongs in this horror movie or whatever, because it was just like, this is Monday through Friday, which is why I'm always, I'm always surprised when especially like white people are like I didn't know it was that bad until Facebook and I was like yeah. <laughs> I, I I have been knowing Karen um and so yeah yeah I definitely I definitely agree and I think it you know <laughs> I don't know maybe my psyche tried to block it out from me when I was a young black boy watching this movie trying to protect me for some reason but you know obviously when I watched it as an older black man this this hurt i mean it really hurt you really see like how this happens and how easily it can happen it, i mean i think that's that's kind of what stood out to me about this part was that you can say you can look at this and you can be like that would never happen but it also depicts how easy it can happen like they just all they did was said he grabbed my gun therefore i'm justified to beat the crap out of him kill him plant drugs on him and then dump his body into the river yeah. end of story and then anybody who tries to speak out against that is like going against the system of cops and you can't do that if you're a part of the system of cops so yeah i mean my main takeaway from this is just that we obviously go from that mortuary scene which is kind of like comedy mm -hmm. immediately into trauma just like immediately <laughs> which is a major tonal shift. And I think that, I don't think that this piece would have worked anywhere else later on. Yeah. Because like, once this happens, you're like, okay, we're not going to be here having fun like we do with the Crypt Keeper. We're right. gonna get into some shit. And I think it sets a tone that the other stories follow as opposed to if you had to put this after like the one about domestic abuse or something and it would have gotten chunky and lost. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so. I, I agree. Yeah, you would have. I think this is as hard as and difficult as it is to watch. I think it sets the tone for the rest of the film. And I think that, yeah, if you didn't start with this, it wouldn't work like mm -hmm. it does for sure. Yeah, I will say that there, there was a lot of for me, I, I like to like kind of nitpick a lot of different things about movies. And there was a lot of symbolism that I liked. Um, um, there was a lot of things that I liked. There was a some crucifix symbolism. There was like the um, the po politician, the black politician, was like on a cross at one point. Point, and then like the white cop at the end ended up like on a cross, if you will. So, and then there was a lot of like scripture use. Um, one of them was like, "Come unto me, all you that labor," which is like I will give them rest, which I found interesting because that's supposed to be a really positive kind of like. God is gonna be nice to you because you've worked so hard and it kind of flipped it on its head if you will and like was like no come to me because I'm gonna kill you and I was like uh, okay now we're twisting the bible too oh my god <laughs> um, another symbolism kind of thing um well 
part of the plot too is that this uh, politician, or I, it never really says that he's a politician or an activist. He's he's something with clout that people know. His first name was Martin, and his second name was somebody else who was an activist. I meant to re-Google that, and so I assumed he was like someone trying to like move black people into like <laughs> in the, getting cons- getting like funding and stuff, and that's why they hated him, and also trying to clean up the police force. Yeah, because he was. It showed a clip of him talking about um, reforming police, and then it um, they talk about apparently he was bringing to light that the police officers were selling drugs to black people that they were then arresting and putting in jail for drugs. So like that whole symbolism mm-hmm. of like the drug, the war on drugs in quotation marks. Um, mm-hmm. And then after he's dead, like, so you were mentioning him on the cross, he's nailed to the cross by syringes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and, that, and that's what they plant on him is syringes and they plant stuff in his trunk too, to make it look like he was the one selling drugs, not them, even though mm-hmm. they admit to it before they kill him. So that whole, like, like I said, the war on drugs and how really it's a war on black people essentially, and how that intertwines with policing and all that kind of stuff. One thing for me that will become the recurring frightening theme is the music in this movie. Um, like Sheree mentioned, in this segment, they use Billie Holiday's Strange Fruit, obviously, which is a very political and like important, but very di- hard song. Um, and I find that in this segment, it was appropriate, but also very terrifying. Um, I did some research because I was talking with Sheree and I was like, this person's got to be black to like, you know, do this type you know to add this music but it's actually christopher young who's a famous film composer he does uh he did like the grudge sinister and the exorcism of emily rose um so he's very well known um and i i just i have to say that if the obviously the the racism and the realism and the even the supernatural aspects of the movie are horrifying but it is intensified by the very creepy music throughout the entire film um so that's just one one takeaway right going back to billy holiday just because that's a mood as a kid it didn't dawn on me that she also suffered from addiction to the point of her no longer being here with us Mm -hmm. and so as an adult watching this it adds another layer because we know how drugs down to the black communities and so it's like you're you're framing this man and murdering this man who's trying to like help his community and we're gonna like play over somebody who was actually harmed by these actual actions in the real world. And so I, the fact that nobody does this in their classes and nobody's putting this in their list and anthologies is my hot take. So I'm trying not to get into it, but also I have problems with the horror community sometimes. Um, So yeah. Yeah. Let's, before we move on to the next one, let's discuss um, the end when, so essentially the ghost of the man that they killed has asked, has come to the black cop who has now quit the police force and has developed an alcohol addiction, it seems like. Um, And he tells him to bring him the cops that did it. And he brings him the cops and the the ghost ends up killing them. Um, I will say that section when they're driving and he's following it is one of the scariest things in this, like uh, parts of this film for me. I was, I was just like on, I was tense that entire time. Not that I really wanted them to survive, but like 
it kept like jerking back and he would just be there. It was, it was so scary. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, I thought it was interesting though that after he kills all three of them, um, it doesn't let the black cop go free. He ends up in a mental institution in a straitjacket. Yeah, I I think I think that's purposeful. Um, I am trying to withhold myself from like literally going on a tangent. Obviously, the idea of mental health of being abused of obviously uh police brutality and the justice system continuously failing the black community um all play a part here um so you know there was that that part at the end where um you know he's in the mental institute and they're like yeah can you believe like he killed three cops and whatever and Ooh, that it, it's so weighty um, because you know the assumption there is that all of this sequence has kind of been uh, uh, in his head, if you will, um, and that he actually ended up killing those cops and and not the zombie of the person that they killed. But that's still, it's a very important kind of shift that they that they make at the very end of this segment. It's very important to see him in this mental institute um, after this system that he trusted, because remember, he was on the police force. It's very important to see him failed by that system and then in a mental institute, you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I it was, whew, it's deep. <laughs> a lot. But like, like we said, we could spend three or four podcasts on this, on this movie, but yeah. Uh, yeah. Let's go ahead and move on to um, the next story. Boys do get bruised. I I don't know about you, but it was clear to me, Sheree, I'm sure you had the same thing. It was clear to me what was happening from the beginning. Because oh, yeah. so many kids that are being abused at home manifest that abuser as a monster, per se. They, they take the human out of them. So I felt, I felt so bad for this child from the from jump. Like, it was definitely another system failing because as a teacher, how do you not see a kid with bruises? And when you ask what's going on, they tell you a monster moved in after their dad died and you don't go limp next and dots. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> there are so many systems that fail Black people in America. And unfortunately, education is another one. Mm-hmm. But even if the teacher had done his job, that would have put foster care in it. And so we all know foster care also fails because they'll either leave you in an abusive situation It'll take you out and put you somewhere worse in a lot of cases. Yes. And it's because America has all these broken systems that they put up band-aids for and they won't actually fix because it doesn't concern the people who have the power and the money and the privilege. And so it's like, oh, Barbara's not being impacted, so we can't care. And right. so countless kids are just suffering every right. day. Yeah, I kept being like, and I and I and I had to purposefully and consciously check my privilege when I watched this section of being like, why doesn't he just call uh, Child Protective Services? And then I was like, wait, that they don't work for them either. So, they, I mean, there's I, as much as like, I don't know what more he could have done that would have actually been effective. I guess maybe gotten the mother and the child out into a, a home. So, I don't know. He could have also not walked in and told the abuser that the kid had mentioned something happened. 
That's because it's obvious what this one has no nuance. It's like, hi, I'm bruised. A monster moved in when my daddy died. Done. Hello. <laughs> and what does he do? He goes, he's like, we need to talk about this with the abuser, even though like the mother's acting uncomfortable and afraid. All of the signs were there. There's so many signs of abuse. I, I can't even count the ways. And so I feel like this was this professor or teacher in his male privilege not understanding what the hell is going on because he's not been in this situation. And so he's like, oh, I'm going to talk to the, the man of the house. I, I can't listen to the child because the child's not using the correct terminology to describe what's going on here. You know, and, and I, I'm just going to throw this in there. Another thing that kind of stood out in this movie for me was, and maybe I'm the only person that can that saw it. I don't know, probably not. But like, there's a conversation happening in the background of this movie about black hypermasculinity. Yep. From the very beginning of the movie, you get these three individuals who are literally um, having a competition, if you will, on who's the most frightened. I mean, and, and the idea being that like, if you're afraid, you're soft. If you're scared, you're soft you need to man up and deal with the situation. And that's, and, and, and let me make it very clear. I am not faulting the black community for that response, for that trauma response. But I want to acknowledge it as a trauma response because so many systems, as you've said, Sheree, have failed the black community over and over and over again, that men develop this complex about actually seeking help because they have to be able to tackle it on their own. And we see it not only with the teacher, we see it with the young boy. He has to now create a scenario that is more realistic to him because he actually can't ask for the help that he needs from the systems that are supposed to be there to help him. Again, this conversation going on in the background of this movie about all of these traumatic responses that people are having because these systems are failing them. And this is this is one. I mean, I, I going back to kind of the beginning of this segment, I really just hate that this kid is bullied r immediately. Mm -hmm. Like it, it opens the scene and he's being bullied. And, you know, you know, it's like, oh, well, now I have to defend myself and like be a, a man. I'm like, you're like six. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My God. And I think that also, like you said, it, 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 highlights the toxic masculinity because you have the bully who's bullying him because uh, the kid isn't masculine enough or we don't really get why he's being bullied per se but it, that's what you can assume really well, these are just bullies they pick on people they assume are weaker than them and right. so i never ask for their reason right <laughs> um but we do find out that our protagonist child it has some kind of voodoo paper doll power which i am <laughs> so here for um, which we first see when he like draws the bully and like crumples it up and the bully like falls down the stairs and has to be taken to the emergency room. <laughs> yes. Again, I was a child when I saw this. So I was upset this didn't work because I drew so many fools. <laughs> I was like, rip, rip, crumple, crumple. And they were still out here. And I was like, damn it, this movie lied to me. Yes. I also want to like acknowledge that the te you know, when the teacher is, you know, confronting the boy about this, he says, the girl behind me told me that if I draw a picture of the monster and crumble it up, like it'll kill the monster or whatever. 
And I'm like, who is this little girl? <laughs> like, somebody needs to check on her. It, I really was like, is she a descendant of the old lady from the next vignette that we're about to watch? Like, Ooh. how does she have this voodoo magic knowledge? Listen, also, I need to rewatch it before this expires. I don't think there was a little girl behind him. Wasn't it an all boys school? Did they make that up? No, there was girls in the school. I don't know yeah. who was behind him, but there were girls in the school. Yeah, I don't know. I don't yeah. that seating arrangement. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I just like a part of me also was just kind of like, what would I do if I was given this power? <laughs> like, I really, I can't trust myself with this power. Um, I'd yeah. be making paper doll books for the gods. <laughs> right. Gemini, my list is long. Like, <laughs> it'd be like, what do you mean you have to like retire? Like I have to retire because I'm going to be busy for the next 80 years. <laughs> making paper dolls and crumble. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, so, a couple times and then <laughs> so yeah, like like Trent was mentioning in the beginning, the teacher obviously goes to confront the child's family situation. And I really have to say, how do you come into the house to be Captain Savaho and get your ass beat? <laughs> like, how do you get your ass beat? Right. And how does he not? Okay, so like. He gets there and it's just the mom, the dad, the uh, stepdad. That's I don't it. know what the relationship. Boyfriend. Is. We don't get into how long they've been together. Um, he's not there yet, and the mom is definitely acting strange. Mm-hmm. Number one, he opens the door and she's like, "Hello," and I was like, oh, "Is she flirting with this man that you just met?" <laughs> and then when the dad or when the man gets there, she's like, "You gotta go. You, you, you gotta get out of here." And then and the and the man is very much like, "What are you doing in my house?" Like. I, like Sheree said earlier, why are you? Why are these signals not getting to you? Also, I just want to point out that that man that we're referring to is David Allen Greer. <laughs> like he's a comedian. I he's a comedian. We trusted David Allen Greer. How could he do this to us? <laughs> he's terrifying in this scene. He just comes in angry and back to this teacher. This teacher has the basic knowledge that this is not this kid's father. This is somebody who moved in after the father died. So why would you bypass the kid's mother to talk to this stranger who you've never interacted with? To be right. like, oh no, we got a problem. Right, and then when, he, the, the, when the man gets him to leave the house or whatever, he leaves and then sits in his car for a good 30 seconds to a couple minutes and you've got, he's got to hear this happening in the house where the kid is like get, being choked and the mom's being hit. And then finally he decides to go in. I'm just like, what? Like, I don't know. Yeah. And David's character had no chill. So you knew what was coming. None. Right. He, he came in wanting to fight someone. And he's like, let me tell you what this little kid's been doing. So you can find him first. Right. And I'm like, what is, who's, who's teaching you how to teach? Like, <laughs> what are these trainings? Right, but then the little boy finds the picture of the of the monster and crumples the shit out of it, and p- turns him into a pancake, in which the mother stomps to death. <laughs> uh, you know, when you watch movies like this, you really have to forgive the graphics. But I, I watched this movie, and and I'm gonna be honest, I don't think that anybody could redo this movie. Mm-mm. Like it, it's just it's perfect. It is it's brilliant 
you can't do it. But I would like to see somebody take this movie exactly as it is and like redo the graphics. Because <laughs> there, <were a> <laughs> there were a couple of moments when I was like, I'm still terrified, but these graphics are terrible in right. 2021. Well, and the, I also think that part of that's part of its charm, though, is kind mm-hmm. of the campy, bad special effect. Like at the end, when they when they're on fire, like it looked like they were doing what was that dance that was really big, like five or six years ago? I feel like that, like uh, everyone was it, frozen, uh, and then everyone goes like. <laughs> <laughs> what was that dance? Yeah, was that what that it looked like. The Bernie. Like this, I wish we went live more often because that would have been an amazing for all the viewers <laughs> that both of you could have do this dance. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I was like, that's funny. <laughs> yes. And I will say in this scene, if I was the teacher and I saw what I just saw, this kid takes this picture and crumbles it up and burns it. And this man crumbles up and burns. My first question would have been like, um, where is that picture of the little of the bully that you drew? What happened? <laughs> <laughs> also, where are your crayons? Because I'm trying to leave this house in one piece. I'm saying, like, can we can we put a halt on drawing pictures for a little okay. bit? <laughs> can, can you imagine the Crayola commercials that would come out of that though? <laughs> <laughs> your drawing privileges are revoked. Right, right. You are not going to art class. Goodness. <laughs> All right, so I move on to the next one. I know Shrey is looking forward to talking about this one. Let us. <laughs> the next story is the KKK comeuppance. I'm just going to say these little bitty dolls should not be terrifying, but they are the scariest thing, even scarier than Clarence Williams III as Satan at the end. Um, <laughs> When the, when the lead little scary doll is running and all we hear is the breathing and we can't even see it's, him. It's too much. That's what a nightmare is. It's what? too much. It's so, too much for me. Uh, just to let everyone know, so this story is uh, this super racist, like doesn't even try to hide it racist, uh, politician, or trying to be a politician, whatever, uh, politician has moved into this old um, plantation. plantation right where um, apparently before he owned it though, a black woman had bought it to make dolls for the slaves that were killed by the slave owner that was living there when the Civil War was going on and all that. And he refuses to leave. The black people in the the community want him out. They're trying to warn him that these dolls are gonna kill him. And that's what happens. Spoiler alert. <laughs> and one of the things, one of his lines that got me the most was when he said, I can't remember when it happened in the story, but he said, can't we all just get along? And I was like, aren't you the one that's been sitting here calling people names and like racist slurs for the last 15, 20 minutes? No, we can't get along because your ass is being rude. <laughs> just, no. How very Trumpian of him. You know, it, it, yeah. <laughs> I think this one was another one that was kind of like the the relevancy really just shocked me. I was just like, oh my God, I can't believe that I'm experiencing this in 2021. Um, 
yes uh so obviously the this one is a conversation of basically about nationalism <laughs> if you will um for me um we're, i know we're gonna get back to the dolls but i'll just i'm gonna just put this in for me this was a conversation about nationalism it was it was commentary about the need to cling to this idea that america is great and amazing and everything that we've done in our history has been perfect and useful and necessary and it's a complete refusal to 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 own up to the sins of this country it's a refusal to repent to repair and writing it's a refusal to right the wrong and and for me that's what i feel like nationalism is and i feel like this section really just kind of talked about the the fight there i mean there's the symbol you know not the symbol but the very last shot of this scene is that guy literally clinging to the american flag for dear life right and i just when i saw that with sheree i was like oh my god is anybody seeing this is anybody because like i was just like this is unreal especially after what happened at the Capitol a few weeks ago, mm -hmm. seeing this blew my mind that in 1995, Spike Lee saw this coming. Yeah. Or not even that he saw it coming, but he saw it happening in then. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's why, like, honestly, I know that scared you straight, but the the dolls never really scared. I was kind of rooting for the dolls. I was like, please eat this <laughs> asshole up. Like I was rooting for him, but also I was like, I don't want to see them. Oh, absolutely. And, <laughs> <laughs> no, also about the dolls and like other Confederacy situations, because I I've been in people's homes and they have these things, and I'm just like, you know, this is wrong and racist, right? You can't right. just have these like weird little figurines and your confederacy patents and be like, I'm not racist. Mm -hmm. You have to pick or choose. Right, yep. including the flag, people, including the damn flag. The damn us. flag. It's, you know, and, and this is a conversation for a different thing, and, and I hate to turn this into a political podcast. It I'm is. curious, I'm curious though, when you see somebody who has a, an American flag on their car or on their house or something, and they're not affiliated by any way with the military or the army. What do you think? Racist. I leave I leave that question to the audience. Like, what do <sighs> you think immediately? Because for me, anytime I see an American flag, I'm like, okay, I need to stay away from that house. <laughs> like, <laughs> even like the last what seven years on social media, usually the Chad who comes for you and got some comments to say has a flag on his timeline and in his and profile a bald picture, eagle. right? And I'm just like, so this is a patriot, Chad, and he's hey. and he's got those like dark sunglasses that like don't really cover all of your eye, like right. <sighs> Okay. Right? Karen is right. <laughs> out of her car in a flag t-shirt to call the cops on kids playing in the park because they're black. Yep. And so I, the whole idea of the flag and what it used to mean, I don't mm -hmm. understand because mm -hmm. I know what it means today. Yeah. So perhaps she needs a makeover. She, yeah, she might need something. <laughs> um, I, rea I realized during this movie, I have never said these words out loud before. So Nightmare on Fear Street listeners you are hearing this for the first time i have always had a, a problem 
with paintings and homes that have faces on them. And, and, and this segment is why. Because there's a scene in this segment where the, the white guy, like, in an, in an attempt to, like, get his frustration out, he takes the American flag and he hits the, the painting and there, there's blood that comes out of this woman. The, the, there's a woman on the painting. Her face, there's blood that comes out. And I promise you, I've never like actually consciously thought this, but I've always said, I don't want like faces on the walls. Like when I decorate an apartment or, or house, I'm like, give me like designs and cool flowers and things like that. But don't give me anybody's, especially not a face that I don't know. I don't want I don't want your face on my wall. Like that's what photo books are for. Like no. Keep your face off my wall. <laughs> so that's just a me thing, but I don't know if anybody else is like that. I just I don't like faces <laughs> on paintings. <laughs> it's weird. That's what museums are for. Like save it for that. But in my home, I don't want any paintings with faces on them. Okay, I got that out. I feel better. <laughs> And I just remembered it. So you were talking about how this is a, a conversation about like not wanting to right the wrongs of the past and all that stuff. He literally says at some point, I think it's when he hits the painting. It could be, I could be way off on this, but I know he says something like this, that like, this is your reparations or, or you'll never get reparations or so, he brings up reparations yeah. to the dolls and to the woman. I mean, the whole point of the, the whole point of that house being untouched for so long was that this black woman recognizing all of the pain and suffering that has happened to her ancestors decided to buy it. And then, you know, she's a voodoo woman. So she put the souls of all of those, you know, slaves who had been tortured. And I think they, he actually says burned alive. They were all burned alive. She put the souls of those people in those dolls and then had them in the house, basically, as a way to give them rest. And so here you come with all your racist ass energy into this house where this woman is like, I'm, tr I'm trying to have peace. Um, you have disturbed me. Now you gotta die. Um, so yeah, I think th that's exactly right. It's, it's reparations. It's, you know, it's all of that, so. I just also love the fact that this racist white man moved in to this woman's property, <laughs> um, and sort of claimed it as his own, and then took the giant actual flag in the home that he put there and was beating her picture with it, in case you don't understand any of these metaphors by themselves. <laughs> okay. It's like, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Let's talk about it because, I mean, let's not talk about it because we're going to be talking for like two hours. But like <laughs> the metaphor of this man beating this black woman mm -hmm. over and over again with the American flag. Oh, I mean, in just her like, house, in her house, we have to end the podcast right now. Because, <laughs> like, <laughs> this is done. This one might be titled in her house because we keep forgetting what we're gonna title stuff. I'm gonna put it on here so we got it. We know we and you know what? America keeps forgetting the back on which it was built. Truly. Okay. We wanna talk about in her house. Mm -hmm. We wanna talk about a, the black woman. We wanna talk about a Stacey Abrams. Mm -hmm. We wanna talk about a Kamala Harris. Mm -hmm. Okay. America depends and relies on the black woman yet refuses 
to acknowledge her pain. Okay, I'm done. Okay, all right, we gotta move on. (laughs) When I edit this, I'm just gonna edit that at the very, put it at the end, just so it ends with that. (laughs) Period, period. Uh, Yeah, like, uh, yeah, this, I will say, this movie is smart, it is clever, it is all those things, it is not subtle. No. So if you can watch this and not understand, if you're like, if you're a white person and you're watching this and you're like, this is kind of spooky and fun. You're blind. Right? Right? No. Um, On that note, I guess we're going to march on into Hardcore Convert, which is the last of the stories in this framework. Hardcore Convert. I just want to say this one is the most jarring for me because it's the first time you see Black people harming other Black people. Aside from like a little bit with Dave Allen Greer and Boys Do Bruise, but that was more of a domestic situation, which is also awful. But we're talking like lethal because as a rule, the black people are not out here fighting other black people in these other stories. Mm-hmm. They are being put up on by the system and they're trying to fight their way out of it. And they are trying to like balance the scales and all of this stuff that makes it like a worthy journey or like making it like trying to like get back what is theirs. And so to see these like young men just out here killing each other, this one was the one where I was like, oh, every time I watch it, all five times. This one, this is happening and it's jarring because this is what it's been building to. We just didn't know it as the first time you're watching it because you're watching these systems fail black people every level. You have it with the police, you have it with education, you have it with the government. And then it's like, well, what happens in these communities when nobody's assisting them, when nobody's giving them a chance? And so you have these like, you have these young black men out here in the nineties who had no options. Um, they were being overly penalized because if they sold weed, they were sent to jail. Some of them still are in jail. Whereas if a white person sells weed, they get a slap on the wrist if anybody even cares. And so it's one of those weird situations where you want to be like, fuck this gun violence. But also it's like, they've been put into this corner. Nobody tried to even assist, nobody tried to help. They have been forced into this because they are doing the hyper-masculinity thing and are trying to like find self-worth and trying to take care of their families sometimes um, and trying to like have actual shit because the world is taking everything from them. And so this one, this one is the one for me where it's like I have to like pause and breathe every time I watch this. The minute that the woman said behavioral modification, I was like, oh God. Okay, this is gonna be rough. But yeah, and then when he's in the basement or whatever and he says that the white supremacist is in there and the white supremacist thanks him i was like oh my oh this is so Ooh. Ooh, okay um <laughs> obviously you can't see me listeners but for the past like three minutes i have been just like in the background with my mouth covered because this this one like sheree said is is very it's difficult this is a difficult segment for me um so i'm gonna try and do this (laughs) i realized as sheree was talking i was like actually getting kind of emotional so i'm gonna try and keep myself together but forgive me in advance sheree yes all all of the yes to everything that you just said just wow um i had Watching this this third time, I, I have to admit, I, I I had weird and mixed feelings about the commentary on Black-on-Black crime. Um, I think it's brilliant, 
But I also think that it's problematic for all the reasons that Sheree mentioned. Again, we get to the end of this movie and this is like the final scene where this black man is now confronted with the sins of his past and has to make a decision on being rehabilitated or continuing down that path and suffering the consequences of that. And what he ultimately comes to is that rehabilitation is not worthwhile because I'm gonna end up back in the systems that have continuously failed me. And, and I thought that that was so shocking, actually, at the end of the movie. I feel like if you were to take this scene and make a new movie out of it, you would see him go through all of this trauma in this, you know, rehabilitation or whatever, blah, blah, blah. And then he would be re-entered into, into society as like a man devoid of himself, like complete without emotions, et cetera, et cetera. But I feel like it was so powerful to me that he actually said no, like I choose not to be rehabilitated. And for, for a lot of people, you could watch that and you could say, I will say a lot of racist people, you could watch that and you would say, oh, well, you're, you're see, this is the problem. You're choosing violence. You're choosing to go and gain. But, but as Sheree said, he's not choosing anything. Everything has been designed to, to, to destroy him. Everything has been designed to fail him over and over and over again. And so the life that he chose to live was one that, that got him the things and the normal things that people want from life. Money, happiness, friendships. He got all of that from being in these, be it all violent parts of society because every other part of society, the justice system, the education system, the healthcare system, all of these systems fail black men over and over and over again. And this was just, I mean, it was just, it was brilliant. It made me happy that I watched this both of these times as an adult after watching Little Fires Everywhere, who Mm. I forgot who wrote that. I forgot her name. Um, she's an amazing writer, but like there's a scene in the actual show, not well, I might be in the book as well, where Carrie Washington's character and Reese Witherspoon's character are getting into it. And Carrie Washington tells her, You didn't make good choices, you had good choices. That. And I feel like I needed to see that show before watching this as an adult to fully try and put together what this last part does to me and my soul as a person. Because, I mean, clearly we would like there to be no gang violence, but also in order to do that, you have to like fix these broken systems that we have and we've seen throughout this movie. Um, And also you can't come at them about gang warfare when you ship 18 year olds off to war and tell them that's how they're going to pay for college and make a life for themselves. So they're kicking the kill for America, (laughs) but like anything else is ridiculous. And so- Again, (laughs) nationalism. Again, it, I mean, it's like, it's so brilliant. <laughs> like this movie is just so brilliant that I, and I really just didn't know. I didn't, I didn't get it. I mean, I knew subconsciously what the movie was trying to say to me, but I didn't know the nuance of the movie until watching it this third time. And that's why I say like to anybody who has not seen this movie 
or who has seen the movie, but it's been a while and you feel yourself a socially conscious and forward thinking person, you must go back and watch this movie because it is so timely and it was made in 1995. Yeah, and I would would add to that, especially if you're a white person and you're watching this, watch it and then discuss it. Like actually... And it doesn't have to be with other black. It doesn't have to be with a black person. I mean, it just it, it helps to to talk about it because like there's been things that I hadn't thought about that you guys had mentioned that are that are important to say. And one thing that I had talked thought about when y'all were talking about um, the systems failing black men specifically, and it's it's compounded. Not only has the black has the systems failed him, they failed his parents. They failed their parents before them. They failed the parents before them. Going all the way back to the people that were living living their lives in Africa doing their own thing. Mm-hmm. Anyone before or after that, the systems have failed them. And so it's just compounded upon itself. And so, you know, yeah, it's... I would have... I would have loved to be in the room when they were deciding which segments to put where. Because I find it interesting, Trent, you just mentioned like this generational trauma almost. I find it interesting that right before the last one, we get the conversation about the impact that slavery has on Black people now. The conversation that was that was had in the past segment was, there's still trauma in that house. We can't move forward until we acknowledge the trauma from that situation and and that and that is just like okay i'm done (laughs) (laughs) yes i feel like i just i feel like this is definitely a movie that needs to be part of the conversation of having america recognize that it's a country founded on ruining other people's cultures like literally (laughs) colonizers are doing what colonizers are doing where um and we don't talk about that, even though some of us are now like actually having these conversations with our white friends a little bit. Mm-hmm. We don't know. We need to acknowledge this country was founded on ruining <laughs> a whole existence of a whole people who were living here their best lives yeah. and then going to get people from another continent to come over here and work this land you just stole. Yeah. We don't give it to people in those like more easy to access and see parts. We like try and hide behind vocabulary, which is a thing I keep forgetting on this podcast. We try and like pick up little segments, but it's legitimately the truth, which is another reason I have issues with immigration. Because this immigration system we have here is bullshit. <laughs> because you have a bunch of people who stole this land being like, you can't come here. I'm sorry, what? Excuse mm-hmm. me. <laughs> Right, I'm a Republican. I can say it. It's, you can't come here. <laughs> and like it's, like you said, Sheree, it is good that we are having more of these conversations, specifically between multiracial groups of people. Um, but I would like to. I mean, I, I think that it is equally, if not more, important that white people have these conversations with other white people. Like, talk to your mama, talk to your daddy, talk to your your racist uncle now don't like you know i have friends that have literally been disowned by family members who um are racist maga hat wear wearing bigots so i you know do it to a point that is emotionally healthy for you but don't don't let them have any ground and 
have the conver have the difficult conversations. And if and if the bullshit comes out, well, then the bullshit comes out, and you're probably better off anyways without them in your life. <laughs> mm -hmm. Listen, I I can't say that I have the experience of having a racist family member to the extent that I would be disowned. But let me speak very confidently to that individual. If you are disowned from your family because you are speaking progressive ideas, ideals that are anti-racism, anti-white white supremacy, and you're disowned from your family, good. Right. Separate yourself immediately. And, and leave that home and come to the cookout and we'll introduce you to seasonings. <laughs> like, I just, I, I you know, it, uh, and you know, you know, I think this is, I think one thing that is a positive about, you know, having, being a queer person is that I understand that a chosen family is just as important, if not more important in some time, in some cases, like you were talking about Labob, than than a biological family yeah Ooh, okay so obviously <laughs> this has right. turned into a different show yes let's but, get back to the movie <laughs> but i think you know going back to that very last scene um i think one of the things that really was was a highlight for me was just the the conversation about rehabilitation versus what the reality is and how that plays a part in when we talk about mental illness in, in Black people mm. and mental illness in the Black community. I mean, even when we think about that first segment, him ending up in that mental institution at the very end of that, and how, you know, Black people are demonized for their responses to these systems that continue to fail them. And I know I, I'm, I sound like a broken record. I'm going to say that all night these systems continue to fail black people and black people are constantly demonized for their traumatic their responses to that trauma so yes on a lighter note i will say <laughs> that i i didn't know that i was being groomed to love classical music through my fear of classical music <laughs> <laughs> This entire movie is like classical music and like, you know, strings and orchestra. And then in this scene, we, get, we even get some like choral music um, and it's terrifying. But as I was watching it this third time, I was like, oh, this is a bop. I love this song. <laughs> like, um, oh, I'm a nerd. <laughs> one thing I want to mention about this last one, um, it's been there's been great acting performances this entire film, but I think this last section is some of the strongest performances, just dramatic work of the whole of the whole movie. Um, even even the woman that is like um, modifying his behavior, she was fantastic. The, the the guy was fantastic. I did find out that that this was actually that woman's very last role that she played. She died very shortly after this movie. Yeah. Can you like just what a role. Right. Right. Um, yeah. Well, let's let's get to, this whole episode. I feel like has been hot takes. So. <laughs> Some of them were warm takes and America just didn't want to hear it. That, that part, that part right there. They had cooled off a little bit. But um, <laughs> so well, let's get into our hot takes to end the episode with um, 
I'll go with mine first, but because mine's pretty bland. <laughs> um, <laughs> I went into this movie not really expecting much because uh, before we started recording, Sheree and I were kind of talking about this, but the, the like the in the hood phrase has been has been taken by white people in this time when this movie was being made and and just kind of made it seem like a joke. Because like, for example, I'd already seen Leprechaun in the hood. I'd already seen like there's one Dracula 2000, which he kind of goes into an urban area. Like, so I, I thought this was just going to be kind of like more of a like a scary movie spoof kind of situation. Um, but it was so much better than than anything I'd ever expected it to be. Um, it will be now one that I recommend to everyone that has not seen it. And if they have seen it, I'm going to tell them to watch it again. Uh, <laughs> I will pay the $3.99 for them to rent it. <laughs> I will have viewing parties at my house. This was a fantastic movie. And I'm so glad that this show, this podcast has introduced me to it. I'll go next. I, I have two. One is one that I've been saying this entire podcast. So just in case you missed it. Um, this movie is commentary about Black life versus the systems that fail them. Um, and I find it interesting, actually, we didn't talk about this, but at the end of the movie, well, we kind of talked about it, but at the end of the movie, the three Black people in question actually are sent to hell for their decisions. And I just want to say <laughs> that that is another commentary on how Black people are responsible for their choices after these systems have failed them both spiritually and like in society. <laughs> so I, I just find that interesting that at the end of the day, you know, we recognize that these systems have failed and, and harmed black lives, yet we're still expected to pick ourselves up from our bootstraps and beat the systems against all odds. And when we don't, we're penalized, we're punished, and we're sent to hell. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna just, I'm gonna just leave that right there, and I'm gonna move mm -hmm. on to my next little bit, which mm -hmm. is this movie gets five stars from me, in all of its terror, terror and horror, and, and like it still scares me to death. But I think this movie is brilliant, and I think it's exactly what Jordan Peele wants to be doing with his work. Now, don't get me wrong, I love Jordan Peele. I think us and get out our brilliant movies but they do not talk about these issues in the way that tales from the hood talks about these issues and i'm sad that it took me three watches to get it so my hot take which i've been alluding to my entire life uh, <laughs> is that i this is okay so first off this is the best black made horror film come out of the 90s um, and for some reason, nobody talks about it because instead we're bombarded with all these white helmed movies um, featuring black leads. And that's not what I want. Like even just to try and like curate a list of movies for this month for this podcast, we were like, oh, let's use this movie. And it's like, oh no, it's written and directed by white people. Let's use this movie, written and directed by white people. And it's just like, I, I know we're out there and I know that we're not being, we're not given the money to like actually promote ourselves because how many black movies do we see a trailer for once and then we don't see it again till we're looking on TV and it's free years later. And so I know they're out there and I'm sad that nobody's making these lists of actual black creative movies. Instead, we're taking these like things white people gave us, which are breadcrumbs, and we're adding in Eve's Bayou so we feel good about ourselves. And I'm like, no, do the work, find the movies, find the creators. I, mm, 
it stresses me out. It stresses me out because it's just like, how many movies are we just not aware of out there? I refuse to believe this is the first time black people like stepped in, did it, and knocked it out of the park. We have to have a legacy leading up to this and leading out of this before Jordan Peele. And I want those movies. Amen. (laughs) (laughs) Well, on that note. (laughs) Um, Next week, we are talking about Black Box with Dr. Teddy Alexis Rodriguez. So super excited for that. A first time. I think this is the first first time guest we've had so far. Right, Trey? For this semester? Yeah, this season, yeah. Um, Kenya was on a Lovecraft Country episode. So this was her first time doing a full movie. True. But everybody else for this month so far has been like familiar. They've been um, <laughs> we, we kept it close to home for the first few. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Um, but yes, Dr. Teddy Alexis Rodriguez will be joining us um, as we close out our month, continuing to highlight Black creators that are not Jordan Peele, because there are more out there, as mm-hmm. we've been talking about this month and this episode. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so yeah. All right. Um, thank you, Labab Rob, for joining us on this anytime. Uh, this film. This is this is this was a fun conversation i mean fun that's not the right word why do i keep saying that uh, this was a good conversation <laughs> <That's beneficial. laughs> i've had I, I have been drinking well, let's blame it on that on that anyway um, it's been a good conversation and, and a great film we were if you haven't watched this movie please go and watch this movie spend, immediately then the four or five oh shit buy it for the 12 bucks you can buy it for so you can have it forever uh, <laughs> um but yeah thank you all for listening and make sure you stay fierce out there bye Mine.